Good morning, church. Good to see you. I don't know, I don't think you'll have noticed, but all the songs we've been singing seem to have the continuation bringing us to this moment. And there's one particular song which we sung at the breaking of bread. I would like to read to you certain streaks from it. It is a hymn or a song that can be very personalized because there are two words that constantly appear, me and my. I don't know if you've noticed that. And I'd just like to read a few lines from this song. And when I come to the term me, I would like you to personalize it to yourself and just put your name there, mentally. And that is because I don't want you to be on the outside as heroes only this morning, but to be participators with the message, be part of the message this morning. Okay? Break now the bread of life, dear Lord, to me, as once you broke the loaves beside the sea. Bless your own word of truth, dear Lord, to me, as when you blessed the bread by Galilee. You are the bread of life, dear Lord, to me. Your holy word, the truth that rescues me. Oh, send your spirit now, dear Lord, to me that he may touch my eyes and make me see. Show me the truth made plain within your word, for in your book revealed I see you, Lord. I want that to be our prayer this morning as we personally involve ourselves in the message which is part two, it's a continuation of my last message that I delivered a a short while ago and I couldn't complete it. And it is taken from Mark chapter 6 and verse 52 and also includes Matthew 14 because they both give us different versions And one writer doesn't tell us what the other writer tells us. So what I've done is I've included them together so we've got a a running narrative. So we were looking at verse 52 of Mark chapter 6 in which after Jesus had stilled the tempest and put it to sleep, and got into the boat with the disciples, they looked at him in awe and wonder. And Mark tells us that they did not consider the loaves. This was after the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 plus. And he goes on to tell us that they did not consider the loaves 
And he adds these words to it because their hearts were hardened. And that was the theme that we were going to look at. That here the disciples had hardened hearts. Now what does a hardened heart mean? And why did the disciples suddenly develop a hardened heart? Well, I can take you back this time. Now we go into Matthew. When Jesus had fed the multitude, he said to the disciples, get in the boat and go over to the other side of Galilee because he had to get to Bethsaida. Now, the disciples, if you will remember, if there were twelve of them, and only the twelve were included, were involved here, that they fed over five thousand people, besides women and children. So we concluded that there were about eight thousand people that were fed, eight thousand individuals. So it meant that each disciple would have to look after 650 individuals to get them all fed. And this was after a day of solid miracles. Blind eyes were opened, deaf tongues were released, deaf ears were released, or mute tongues, should I say, were released, deaf ears released. Legs lengthened, arms and fingers recreated, bodies healed. This was going on throughout the day. And when we get to the disciples, it says they didn't consider what had happened. So how can an individual get into a place like that? You've had eight hours of solid miracles unprecedented, never seen before, never to be seen again. And a creative miracle, 5,000 people, 8,000 people, fed of five loaves and two fish. Five little loaves and two fish. And yet they sat in the boat, their hearts hardened. They hadn't considered who this man was who would still the tempest. And this was Jesus in their midst. And they were full of unbelief. Now the reason I feel for this is that after Jesus had fed them and he said to the disciples, go over to the other side and I'll disperse the crowd. They suddenly took umbrage of that. Because they'd been busy all day and probably by this time having fed 8,000 people they were almost on their knees. And they'd each gone out and collected 12 baskets of fragments as well. And so the disciples had in their mind to go and crash out somewhere get something to eat go to sleep and go over into Bethsaida the following morning. But Jesus 
had his own reasons for wanting them to go that night. Now, the Bible doesn't explicitly put it straightforward as to why this had to be. But scripture does tell us why they had to go that night and couldn't wait till morning. They couldn't understand it. Jesus wasn't beholden to them. He wasn't going to give them an explanation. He said to them, come and follow me. They came to follow him and he wanted them now to exercise their faith in what he had said. But when he asked them to go over to the other side, they thought, what? After such a busy day, we're having no rest, we've had nothing to eat, we've got to go over the sea to the other side, and it's pitch black. So in a way they had reason, but they had no reason to reiterate the way they did, or to act the way they did. And so, Matthew tells us that Jesus had to constrain them. There was an argument that issued. And that term, constrained, in the original, means that he took overly control over them, authoritatively. And he made them go against their will. And because of this... They said, all right, we'll go, and they hardened their hearts because they weren't accepting what Jesus had said, although they would go. And so they get into the boat, and not only do they have to deal with that, but then, you know, they have to deal with about six hours of tempest, winds and high winds and high waves getting into the boat. And they've got to try and control that. So when Jesus eventually stills the tempest, gets into the boat with them, they look at him in wonder and amazement, not considering the miracles of the loaves. And I want to say this to you, that when a person becomes a believer... And I'm not talking about a conversion here, because a conversion is something outward. But when a person becomes a believer, 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. It's not just a conversion. That's why it's called the new birth, because you're born again. And people can't understand that. Neither can I, but I know it's taken place because I've received it by faith. So have you. And unless a person is born again, he remains a sinner no matter what he does. He's always a sinner because he's Adam's posterity. The only thing that can change that is a new birth, a new creation, which is what Jesus does. And when a man becomes a new creation, like you and I, he lives in two worlds at the same time. Did you know that? 
He lives on earth in contact with his body. And he also lives in the spirit world through his spirit, which is born again. So as his spirit is born again, he becomes a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. That is his citizenship. Your citizenship is in heaven this morning, as mine is. It's not this world. It's not a citizen of the UK. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven and strangers in a foreign land. Because we're on our way to glory. In the 17th chapter of John, Jesus said this to the Father in his prayer. Father, I pray that you will keep them. They are not of the world, but they are in it. That's where you and I stand. We're not part of the world, but we're in it because we've got a job to do. But our real and true citizenship is in heaven. And therefore, we should exercise the principles of our new citizenship. Instead of which, because we've grown up in this world, we continue to move along to what we know this world is. Thus, when people, as you know, in the private sector, stand up for their faith... They lose their jobs. They're put out. You don't accept what we want to do? Out. And that is because they're exercising their principles of the kingdom of heaven. That is where they are. That is what they believe. And they're not going to change it for anything else. And so they'd rather lose their job than change their principles. Now that is a person born again. They're living according to the principles of their new kingdom. And the disciples didn't know that. They still exercised their earthly goings-on. And that hardened their heart and it turned them against what Jesus was saying. And that can happen to you, it can happen to me, At any time, it happens very stealthily and it's very insidious because it catches on. Now, Pharaoh didn't realize this, but you know in reading the scriptures, he hardened his heart ten times. And in the end, he not only lost his life as a result of it, But thousands of his own army lost their own lives because they were led by a man who had a hardened heart and they took the same attitude. And when the disciples remonstrated with Jesus about going over that night, it was because that's where they were. Their hearts were getting harder Because someone became a spokesman and said, listen, we're not going over tonight. And all the others jumped on the boat, on the bandwagon and said, yeah, we agree with that. And they remonstrated. 
And Jesus had to eventually constrain them and say, no, you go tonight. And they eventually went with hardened hearts. Now I want to take that through into the example set for us by someone whom you know very well, the Apostle Peter, whom Jesus said, you will be called Cephas. A stone. He was usually the spokesman for the whole group. So I don't know whether it was Peter who instigated this or whether one of the other disciples, but the rest soon jumped on the bandwagon. It was very contagious. And if you will remember looking at Peter, On the night when they broke bread together, Jesus said to them after they'd finished, Rise, let us be going, because the hand of him who is going to betray me is about to take place. And so they go to Gethsemane. And after the sessions in Gethsemane, we won't go on with that, But just before they go, Peter stood up and he said to Jesus, as Jesus had said, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of man. He is going to be scourged and crucified. And you will all flee from me. In other words, you'll be afraid and you'll run away. And Peter said, Though all men forsake thee, Lord, I will not. I will go with you to the death. Now remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 and 12. Let him who thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Peter, boisterous as always, said, I'll not fail you, Lord. I'll go to the death with you. And Jesus turned to him. He said, Peter, before the cock crows tonight, you will have denied me three times. Now we call Peter's bluff there. And Peter took it as a telling off in front of the other disciples. You're wrong, Peter. Anyway, they go out, and when Caiaphas sends his soldiers up to apprehend Jesus, Peter draws his sword out and chops off Malchus's ear. And his second reprimand comes because Jesus heals Malchus's ear, and he says to him in front of the disciples and the soldiers, Peter, sheath your sword, because he who lives by the sword will die by the sword. So Peter's been reprimanded before his fellow men, before the world, if you like, the soldiers, and I'm sure he didn't take easily to that. Because when Jesus is taken away, we're told Peter followed him afar off. His heart was beginning to harden. 
And he followed Jesus afar off, still wanting to see curiosity. He wanted to see what was happening. And so he goes and stands by the fire to warm himself, keeping his eyes open to see what's going on. And a maid comes up and says, you were with him. Now, first denial, I don't know the man. And he moves round the fireplace again. And another maid says, I saw you with him. Second denial, I don't know the man, followed by an oath. He moves round the fire, and somebody else said to him, your language betrays you. Now notice the three steps in his third denial. I don't know the man. He issued an oath and he swore. Now you can see how hard his heart had got. That he wasn't going to get implicated in this. Even though he'd said to Jesus, I am ready to go to the death with you. And this is how insidiously it gets. It just creeps upon us and we don't know it's there. And at the third denial, the cock crew. Have you ever heard a cock crowing in the evenings? No, neither have I. But Jesus used a cock, a cockerel, to bring Jesus to him, to bring Peter to his senses. And as the cock crew, Bible says, Peter remembered. The disciples didn't remember. Peter remembered. And immediately he remembered, he started weeping. Remorse had set in. He had betrayed his best friend. And now there was no way of putting it right. Jesus was being judged. He couldn't get to him. He couldn't confess. He couldn't say, I'm sorry. Can you see how remorseful he must have felt? And I guess he wished the ground would open up and swallow him if that would be possible. And he runs out weeping bitterly, breaking his heart because of what he'd done. And there are only two people whom the Bible speaks of in this sense. They went out and it was night. Judas was the first one to carry out his dastardly deal. He went out into the night to do it. And death. Peter ran out into the night. That's what the Bible says. Into forgiveness. He didn't know it yet. But because he remembered, broke his heart, because he denied the person who was always close to him, and he was always close to. And for three days, four nights, we hear nothing more about Peter. Until the resurrection morning, 
Mary goes to the tomb, Mary Magdalene, and she's surprised to see the stone rolled away and an angel sitting on the top of the stone. And he says to her, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Glory to God. He is risen. But go and tell his disciples. Now notice two words that follow, which we usually gloss over. But go and tell his disciples and Peter. Emphatically, and Peter. I will see them in Galilee. Mary goes running back with that message. He's risen. He's not in the tomb. He says, go to Galilee. Peter, you are to go to Galilee. Can you imagine how Peter felt at that moment? Ooh, ton weight was lifted off him. The man said, have I heard you right? Yes, Peter. He said, and Peter... And he shot out of that upper room like a rocket. John, being the younger, followed him, but he outran John to the tomb. And when he got there, he looked in. It was empty. Can you imagine the freedom that man felt? I don't think you can because none of us have ever been in that particular situation. But this man must have felt as light as a bird. The burden he'd been under for three days and three nights that almost broke him to pieces had now come together and he was healed. Jesus, in spite of what he'd gone through in those three days, had remembered Peter. And he'd forgiven him and said to him, I want to meet you again, Peter. Meet me in Galilee. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the depth of forgiveness? That's just tremendous. The grave or men couldn't kill him. The devil couldn't destroy him. The tomb couldn't hold him. Hallelujah. He lives. He lives forever with his saints to reign. He could forgive Peter. Have you ever found such love? Have you ever seen such love? Have you ever experienced such love? There's only one man who has that kind of love. And that is Jesus. And when we're prepared to open our hearts to him, to receive him by faith and to believe in him by faith, he breaks every bond. He releases us and he frees us. Glory to God. Such love. I want you to put your hands together, friend, and just praise him. He deserves that praise this morning. Come on. Let's give him a praise. Rise to your feet if you like. Rise to your feet. He deserves it. And I want us to sing in closing 
a wonderful hymn that was born out of the Welsh revival in 1904. Here is love, vast as the ocean. Loving kindness as the flood. When the prince of life, my ransom, shed his precious blood for me. Wales adopted it as their love song. Well, today we're adopting it as our love song. And I'd like you to pull all the stops out. He deserves it. Sing it to him. Here is love as wide as the ocean. We cannot comprehend it, but it is there. Thank you, Lord. The Lord now bless thee and keep thee. The Lord cause his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon us. And give us peace. And all the people said, Amen.